Hello, podcast listeners. I preached this sermon on the second Sunday in Lent, following the lectionary for the gospel. This morning, we'll be continuing in the gospel of Mark. In chapter 8, Jesus has fed 4,000, cured a blind man, and Peter has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah. And that brings us in chapter 8 to today's verses, 31 through 38. I invite you to hear this good word. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Eternal God, we set ourselves aside for a moment and consider your word May we sit with it a while and see what it may say to us. And as we hear, may we find that it stays with us a little longer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a woman who lived next door to a preacher who was puzzled by his personality change. At home, he was shy, quiet, and retiring. But in the church, he was a real firecracker. His preaching was so energetic that he could really rouse the congregation. It was as if he were two different people. One day, she asked him about the dramatic transformation that came over him when he preached. Ah, he said, that's my alter ego. Okay, I thought this joke about change might make it easier for you to see me go. (laughs) I had plans to preach on this passage prior to finding out the news of my impending move, and I thought the theme of resistance to change might also be helpful for us to examine today. As a devotee of systems theory, I believe that all systems resist change. I've experienced it plenty of times, and I've done my own fair share of resisting. Of course, not all change is bad, just like not all change is good. But one thing is certain, we all encounter change throughout our lives all the time. As we look at the disciples, I think it's hard to blame the disciples for resisting this prediction of suffering and death that Jesus makes. Things have consistently gone their way. They were winning all the time, whether it was Jesus healing disease, casting out demons, or besting some religious leader in a debate. Oh yeah, he also performed miracles. (laughs) So Jesus tells them quite openly that he will die But he also mentions that he'll rise in three days after he dies. The disciples don't seem to hear the news about the resurrection. Jesus tells them about this and they say, wait, wait, what did you say? I said, in three days I'll rise again. No, no, not that part. Before that, that I will suffer and die. Yes. (laughs) What are you talking about with all of that? (laughs) What happens when our death becomes too real 
Our country has experienced half a million deaths in a year, and these numbers are so large that we tend to refuse them in our minds. Or we want to make excuses. It just can't be real. And sometimes we go into denial, which is a very real coping mechanism. But sometimes I focus so much on the death that I can't see the resurrection. So I rebuke Jesus, just like Peter. I focus on the death, and I miss the resurrection. I've seen this at funerals. One of my theological irritations is when the family asks to open the casket at the end of the service and the ushers from the funeral home have the congregation parade by for one final viewing right at the end of the service. Now, the confrontation of our mortality is not a bad thing. It's just the timing I don't appreciate. I preach a really good eulogy for the deceased and our liturgy and our prayers point to the resurrection and we're all talking about the life to come and then we open up the casket and it's like, just kidding, forget about what I said about your loved one living in the life to come. And in a sense, we rebuke Jesus. Jesus has already resisted temptation in last week's reading. You remember when he goes into the desert? Now Peter is tempting him again. Jesus, you really don't have to suffer and you certainly don't have to die. Except that he does. It's not what he wants to do, but it's what the world demands. Because Jesus is asking them to change too much. What if we put all our cliques on hold and we're nice to one another? Oh, we can't have that. <laughs> what if we forgave one another? God forgives you of your sins. Oh, you can't forgive sins, Jesus. Only God can do that. No, by telling people they're forgiving, you're committing blasphemy. What if there were no unclean and we invited everyone to the table? Oh, now you're really causing trouble. Of course there's unclean. That's how we know we're better than they are. But Jesus indicates that all of his disciples will suffer and die. And that's not good news at all, except that he tells us that we will actually live. It's a way for us to live that we aren't afraid to die in a sense. And so the changes that happen don't bother us because we know that change is inevitable. But the things that truly matter, like our relationships with one another, well, they are eternal, aren't they? Even when we move into and out of people's lives, we know that we stay connected in God. But changes are like little deaths, and we don't like them. Sometimes changes need to take place in the church, and we resist it. In fact, we would rather die than change. But if we would rather die than change, we have really made idols out of our things, our routines, our way of life. It is if we're saying, I would rather the church die than change the way it does things. There was a little church that was a few blocks from the school in town, but they didn't have any children attending their church, and they were all getting older. But they were comfortable. They knew all the hymns. And they only sang their favorites, because after all, they were so few, they might as well do what they liked. And then they had a young family visit their church. The family seemed a little uncomfortable when they came in. They were clearly the youngest people there by decades, and the pastor warmly welcomed them. They had a small toddler and another child with them, and this child quickly wormed his way out of his mother's arms. She asked, do you have a nursery? Well, no. We don't really have any children, so we don't have the need for one. We used to have a room that used to be used as the nursery, but it's been so many years since we needed it, we converted it to a classroom for adults. Oh, well, I guess we'll just all stay in the sanctuary. We'll just sit here in the back. 
oh, oh, those seats are where the Beckwiths always sit. Well, I guess we'll just sit here in the middle then. Oh, yes, that will be fine. And the service went on. Their toddler got wigglier and noisier. Some of the congregants smiled at the distraction from the routine, but others frowned. What's wrong with that mother? They didn't consider there were two parents there. Can't she keep her child quiet in worship? When we were growing up, we were made to mind in church. After the service, the pastor invited the young family to have some cookies and punch in the fellowship hall, but they declined. They were tired of wrestling their children. The pastor sighed and said to one of the church members, I don't think they'll be back. The member said, that's okay. I don't think they fit in here anyway. Do we expect those we're trying to reach to fit in with us? Or are we asking ourselves, what are the people who are not here like? What would we have to change to make them more comfortable? I'm willing to do this because I'm a disciple. I am called to the death of my comfort zone. Jesus bids me to kill it off on occasion, and it's cruel, really. I I like that comfort zone. But if I'm only about feeding myself spiritually, I am missing the larger understanding of discipleship. Let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's strange, isn't it? Who would follow that? There is an alternate ending to this story. It's the same church, but when the family came in, they were welcomed not only by the pastor, but everybody. And when they asked if there's a nursery, one of the couples said that they would be glad to watch him in the old nursery. I think we've got some old children's stories that we can read him. He'll like the pictures. And off they went. And when they asked to sit in the back, the Beckwith said, Well, why don't you sit with us back here? Then you can see how the service goes without feeling everyone's eyes on you. And when their older child got restless, the usher said, Would you like to see the stairs to the old balcony? Come on, I'll show you if you can be really quiet. When it was time to sing the hymns, the music leader asked the new couple if they had a favorite that they liked to sing. The family noticed that they were the only ones their age, but they felt so at home they said to one another, we've got to invite others our age to come here. This place is so friendly and so homey it would be a shame for it to die off. Let them deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. For everyone who loses their life for my sake will save it. I have loved serving as the pastor of this church. And now I'm just entering into a new relationship with you. I will still be your pastor in a way. Only now I have lots of other churches to pastor too. One of the things I've learned is that change is nothing to be feared. Some is good and some isn't. But we have faith in Jesus Christ. This means that we can confront suffering and death and we know that it is just temporary. Our greater reality is life. This is resurrection faith for sure. To trust Jesus is to know life, and sometimes that includes suffering, but in the end we discover that suffering does not stand up to the life we receive. One thing I've discovered about my time in Edmond at this church is that it is full of disciples who trust in Jesus, and I have no doubt that this church will continue in its strength. Because when you see one another carrying a cross, you say, oh, that looks heavy for you. Let me carry it a while. Now that's strange, isn't it? It's like you didn't even have to rebuke Jesus. Like you knew what gives life all along. Amen.